in all your roles, coaching people, gathering resources, uh, writing books, yeah. uh, working on a grant and getting the website up, where do you see the most action take place? What, what, what helps facilitate those changes from ideas to actions? Yeah, well, so now you're asking me whether the Marshall Memo has made any difference. <laughs> <laughs> you, you gotta have an eye. Third Eye Education. Third eye. Welcome to Third Eye and our special two-part series with Kim Marshall. This is part two with Kim Marshall, who, as you probably are aware, has been working on the Marshall Memo since 2002. Prior to that, he taught sixth grade and was the principal of Mather Elementary School for 15 years. We began a conversation already in progress. Yeah, well, so now you're asking me whether the Marshall Memo has made any difference. <laughs> uh, and that's that, I have not researched that, unfortunately, and I don't have data about it. So I have subscribers, you know, in, in all 50 states and 74 other countries, uh, you know, there's tens of thousands of people who read it, and then many, many people who will clip an article and give it to a colleague. So there's a, there's a multiplier effect. So probably more than 100,000 people each week are seeing this. And I just don't have evidence. You know, I get occasional, I mean, people know it's not a blog, so they don't write me too often, but I get occasional things. I think probably the biggest difference I've made though is person to person persuasion around the issue of teacher evaluation. Because most people know that traditional system doesn't work. People who are on top of the research know that value add is bogus and actually fraudulent. And so what do you do? And I've really been out there preaching the gospel about short, frequent, unannounced classroom visits with face-to-face -face feedback conversations a couple of times a day, striving to get into classrooms at least once a month for a, for a short, you know, we're talking 10 minutes. And probably all of you know that 10 minutes is plenty, right? 10 minutes is if it's done randomly and systematically over time, that's plenty of time to have an intelligent conversation with the teacher. So that's, that's where my main impact has been. And that's all person to person. So we, we, last year, prior to the pandemic, we worked with someone doing research on teacher evaluation and feedback, Steph Whitney, who is going to be doing some writing for, for us as well. And we piloted at Dover Yoda, uh, teachers having the choice of frequent short visits or team teaching with an administrator. So the administrator come in, plan a lesson, teach it together, and then together decide what, what, what didn't, how can we improve based off of research and, and instructional coaching. And teachers had the ability to choose one or the other. The team teaching was far more popular than the frequent short visits, but both happened. We got good feedback on it. It was a little overwhelming for the administrators, I'd say. But even Mike, a superintendent, was in there, team teaching classes. Mm. And just in terms of building a culture around observation and feedback, uh, hey, I'm in there with you is a very different. Uh, that's, a, that's a lovely practice. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Well, I'm going to add to what Nick said, because we just did this in a math class but a couple of, about a month ago or so. And we have block schedules. So we have teachers that are on their feet, you know, for two 88-minute classes. Wow. And uh, I was in for two blocks. But the awakening for me was, holy how these people, they have to stand and perform and, and they have two different audiences, two very different groups to perform for. Plus they had students that were remotely in. So they had yeah. 20 kids in front of them and six kids behind them on the, in, uh, on the computer. Absolutely. So teacher, it was 
for me as an administrator, it's important to uh, walk in their shoes for a few moments and uh, learn and appreciate what they have to do and what we ask them to do. Yeah. One of the most powerful practices, and I've done several articles on this, uh, is the idea of shadowing a student through an entire school mm. day. Uh, I, have any of you done that? No. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's uh, in, in, in a middle or high school, elementary is a little different, but middle or high school, it, it's a, it, every time I've talked to someone who's done this, they've said it is an absolutely life-changing thing because what you were just saying, Mike, I mean, you, you actually understand what it's like to have five different classes or two 80 minute blocks and that sort of thing. So, so every time it happens, I think, you know, if, if the person reports back, of course, it's good for teachers to do this as well as administrators, yeah. but just to, again, empathize on. So back to the issue of teacher evaluation, every, I, I use uh, clickers. I use response devices when I talk about both online and in person. And a question that I ask uh, always uh, is how much mediocre teaching is there in your school? And by mediocre, I mean on a four-point scale level two. So it's not, you know, actionable. It's not fireable. It's, you know, but it's it's not good. And I make the point that mediocre teaching is is not is not a good thing. Kids kids who choose their parents well can survive it, but kids who walk into school with disadvantages actually cannot survive it, and it's a moral issue. So I ask this question, and I have like a, a five-point scale. And in every single place I've been. Elite private schools, suburban schools, Jewish day schools, Catholic schools, uh, you know, inner city schools. It's always the same cluster of here and there and quite a bit. And so that's the moral issue about teacher evaluation. And if administrators aren't actually in classrooms on a frequent basis and really seeing what's really going on day by day, th then that persists. And teachers know who those people are. You know, like that fourth grade teacher who's angry at the third grade team because they're not teaching their kids how to write complete sentences or do their times tables or whatever. And the, the teachers really want the administrators to do something about that. And mostly it doesn't get done. The most dramatic example is I was in a, in a eighth grade classroom in, in Rhode Island, uh, excuse me, Long Island uh, in New York. And, and uh, the principal told me that a girl whispered to her, get me out of here. Uh, and, and this was a situation where, you know, this particular eighth grade math teacher was, was doing a very poor job and had tenure, and the high school teachers begged the administrators not to assign any kids from that class. So, so that, those practices, and I don't, I don't say mediocre teacher, I say mediocre teaching. And I'm not talking about firing people, I'm talking about coaching and improving practice. So that's that's the biggest reason to get in there, uh, you know, on a very very frequent basis, and to and to have coaching conversations, you know, starting in September. Uh, Mike Schmoker had a wonderful article that I did in last week's uh, Marshall Memo, talking about himself as a beginning middle school uh, social studies teacher, and how he thought it was pretty hot stuff. And the principal had one of these drop-in meetings and pulled him aside and said, you know, you're great, Mike, but you're only calling on the kids who raise their hands. Uh, you're not walking around looking over kids' shoulders. Uh, you're moving too quickly and not, you know, not uh, reinforcing things. Uh, you know, and and there was one other thing. And he had a PD person work with it with Mike, and Mike got better. It's really important. It's, it's really interesting to hear you say that, uh, Kim. For for a lot of reasons, but timeliness right now. We have been doing our end of year surveys where our staff get to give us feedback mm. on on what we can do differently, and and for a lot of reasons. 
one, of course, being the pandemic, but I'm not making excuses, but we were not in classrooms nearly as much as we would like to have been this year. And that came across clearly. Staff are like, yeah, we want you to know more about what's happening in our classes. And today at PLC meetings, you know, when I was working with our, our staff here at our secondary building, I had three different PLCs that I met with that said, Will we be doing instructional rounds again next year if we're in person? When will we be seeing more of, of you and Nick and, and our other administrators, Mike and so forth, in our classrooms? And it just, it, it, the, the thirst is there as well. It's not just about it being good practice, but also our teachers thirst for it. Yeah. But the system yeah. structures are so important. And uh, back to your earlier question about uh, themes that I've seen over the years. One theme I've seen is that there are multiple ways to screw up good ideas. And, and it is just horrifying. For example, PLCs. You know, most teachers roll their eyes when they hear the word PLC. The word data. Most teachers at this point, especially in New York City, have just seen way too much of that. And it's not done well. PLC meetings are gripe sessions or, you know, whatever. They're not what, you know, what Rick DeFore talked about, you know, with, with PLCs, which is teachers sitting down looking at a common assessment that they all took, the kids, they're all kids, they, and actually saying, so, so Nick, you know, your kids did really well on, you know, question five of this math test. What did you do? Because my kids had a lot of trouble with that and actually sharing good practices. That is very, very rare. And if you're doing that, you know, God bless you. Teacher evaluation, you know, classroom visits, you know, a, a major way that that's being screwed up is, okay, the principal comes in, with a laptop, types away furiously on the laptop, goes out, or even before leaving the classroom, hits send and sends the feedback to the teacher before talking to the teacher. And in fact, never talks to the teacher. It becomes a, you know, an email kind of exchange or the teacher just says whatever and deletes it. So that's, you know, there's, I mean, across the board, you know, differentiation has been a horror show. So it must, teachers must get so discouraged to see things that are, are, are put out there with good intentions but are, are messed up by this poor implementation or just in misconceptions and errors. I, I've started to become aware of that, uh, something that we were continuing to do in my previous district where, well, PLCs, I'll use that example. We talked about PLCs, go off and do your PLCs. We didn't really monitor them. Hmm. I had a rude awakening when I sat down with a group of uh, really great math teachers in my eighth grade group. And I said, well, tell me about your common assessments. They're like, well, we're not, we haven't been doing them. I said, what do you mean? Well, you stopped asking and we stopped doing it. And, and I'm like, whoa, I was busted on that. And, you know, but I, I appreciated the honesty because it really taught me that they pay attention to what I pay attention to. And if I cared about it, they'd be doing it, you know? as a leader learn yeah i mean common assessments uh, common assessments go against the grain for a lot of yeah. teachers especially english and social studies teachers whereas math and science teachers uh, tend to you know it tends to be more of a natural thing for them to have okay we're going to get the same test you know in four weeks and then but of course then the administrator's job is to make sure they have time to meet and have the data in front of them, quick turnaround, you know, a, a low stakes environment. Uh, you know, some of the charter schools early in the early years uh, made the mistake of actually firing people in the middle of the year based upon their interim assessment results. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the whole thing is to keep it low stakes and have a real honest conversation about what's working and what isn't working and constantly improving teaching. We take a moment out of our podcast 
and do a little bit of an advertisement for ourselves. If you would like to write for Third Eye or edit podcasts, we could really use your help. Keeping up this weekly publication and bi-weekly podcast takes a lot of extracurricular time from our team. And the more people we have, the lighter that load becomes. Consider helping out. Feel free to reach out to us on our Twitter account, which is Third Eye Ed. That's T H I R D E Y E E D. We look forward to hearing from you. We return to our conversation. Mike, you just mentioned the paying attention to what you're paying attention to. And I, I just finished reading John Green's Anthropocene Reviewed. And on page six, that's exactly the quote. It says that you need to pay attention to what you pay attention to. And I think that's so powerful. And so actually that's what we'll do now is we're gonna transition to our in the blink of three eyes. And what we wanna know, Kim, is we wanna know what it is that you pay attention to. And we value influence, innovation, and and inspiration uh, here at Third Eye. First one, what podcast, book, show, or whatnot has been influencing your thinking lately? So I'm right in the middle of Barack Obama's book, A Promised Land, and, and I'm absolutely fascinated by the, the details of a political campaign and what was going on in the White House. And so that's the thing I'm reading at this particular moment. Fidel the Kappen is a magazine of all the magazines that I found has the highest value, and I can measure that because it has the highest percentage of classics. You know, when I go back and look at what are the best articles, I think Ed Week does a terrific job. I do not have time for podcasts. I, I apologize. I'm shamefaced here, but I, I, I simply can't fit them into my life. I'm not driving places. I just, when I exercise, I want music. Oh, you know, another thing that's doing a superb job is the New York Times. Uh, their education reporting and other reporting is superb. Uh, and they, they are one of the highest value publications that I read every single day. And I read, I read the paper paper. And you don't, you don't have to listen to podcasts when you're on them. So save the step. <laughs> so the next question, uh, we really value innovation. What's one innovation that you've seen recently or would really like to see? So uh, the big question I'm asking is, what have we learned during the pandemic that, uh, that we can do better going forward? And uh, one innovation, which some people were doing before, but I see it in my son's teaching, he's a history teacher in Seattle, is inviting in uh, really high-level speakers into the classroom via Zoom. So the other day, he had Mary Beth Tinker. I don't know if you, you remember the Tinker case, the Supreme Court case about free speech, the armbands during the Vietnam War. He had her, she's in her 70s, and he had her on for an hour. Wow. You know, uh, just, the other day, just the other day, he had a, a, a doctor, Dr. Hoxby from University of Washington uh, talking about world health and for an hour. So just getting in high-powered people who would never be able to come to your school is fantastic. And the, the other innovation is what I would call the lonely singleton teachers. I don't know if you in your district, if you have teachers where there's only one of them in the school, like a small high school has only one physics teacher. So those people are, are gonna be using Zoom to get together with other physics teachers around the state of Minnesota, maybe around the world in Canada, you know, uh, to talk nerdy stuff about physics. So I think that's a fabulous, I mean, Zoom was around before, but now we know how to use it very powerfully. IEPs on Zoom. Uh, parent conferences on Zoom. I mean, there's a whole list of things that I'm putting together that, that, that are ideas that will make our schools much better when we get back to full in-person in the fall. 
I, I love hearing the idea about the, the guest speakers. We, we did on Third Eye Education uh, an article, I guess it would have been like two, three weeks ago now. And we highlighted the fact that we had like our coding teacher was bringing in um, Amazon engineers to talk to her students. And we had a, a fourth grade teacher who brought the author of the book they were reading in to do a book talk with the kids. And just it's it has created some innovation. I love that. Our last question for you today, Kim, is listeners inspired by today's conversation may want to take action on their learning. What might that first action be? Wow. So I do a lot of classroom visits with the principals I'm coaching. You know, now it's been remote, but, you know, in, over the last uh, 18 years, you know, thousands of classroom visits. And the, the biggest thing that I see missing in most teaching is checking for understanding and not just saying everyone with me. Any questions? <laughs> You know, but actually using, and back to technology, using clickers, using Kahoot, using Poll Everywhere, Pear Deck, some electronic way where every student has to say what they understand. You know, what's a fraction between one sixth and one seventh? And, you know, in the middle of the lesson, the British are very strong at this. They call it hinge point questions. And uh, by the way, one of my heroes is Dylan William, a British uh, researcher on, on uh, um, assessment. So just, you know, really honest to goodness, slowing down doing a better job of checking for understanding, which we know from the Japanese uh, Im implementation in car manufacturing is by when you slow down, you know, they pull the and on cord, it stops the whole production line when they see a defect. You know, so you have a defect in learning, which you discover through good checking for understanding. And then you fix that, you fix the instruction, and then you actually learn more faster. So I would say that's the biggest uh, pointer that I would say is, is, is more effective. And I think principals and assistant principals, instructional coaches should be watching for this all the time in the classroom. There was, there was a wonderful, one of the fun things I do in the Marshall Memo is I have a quote, uh, quotes every week. And one of the best quotes was from a British elementary school teacher who said, he was always asking, you know, any questions. And of course there was, you know, crickets when he asked that question mostly. So he shifted to saying, ask me a question and pausing. And it, it made a huge difference. You know, it was, it was more, it was not an order. It was a request, ask me a question. And kids sort of said, oh, okay, I have a question. <laughs> so just uh, that, that whole realm of teaching is one of the weakest areas in many, many, many classrooms. Of course, some people have since the days of Aristotle have been doing a great job with that, but it's, it doesn't come naturally. And of course, uh, uh, check out uh, the marshallmemo.com, bestofmarshallmemo.com. .org. Yes, and I have it up right now. It's really impressive. So absolutely can you remind me the the two books you got the the uh, uh sticky oh yeah so made to stick and let's see what was the other one i got them all here oh this is a really cool one here um uh, the abcs uh, of how we learn and so these authors actually found a a learning insight for every letter of the alphabet nice and and it was it's very clever you know there are 26 of them <laughs> and they yeah, it's a, I don't think it's a bestseller. Oh, and of course, uh, Teach Like a Champion. Do you use Teach Like a Champion? That's awesome. I mean, I think it's a, a very, very wise and powerful book. Uh, it's not gimmicky. It's very small mm -hmm. things uh, that teachers do, you know, have been doing for, and he was able to film them and document them. And I think, I think Begumov did an amazing job. Well, Kim, you have done such an amazing job yourself of influencing education powerfully by just bringing to light a lot of these articles that we sometimes dismiss and overlook because there's so much to wade through. So thank you for committing to that reading for us. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure. I, I, I do love this work. I would not have been able to keep it up for 18 years if I didn't love it, but, it, but let me tell you, it is hard work. <laughs> yeah, 
I believe it. Appreciate it. Thank you again to Ken Marshall for having these conversations with us today. Thank you to Dover Iota for their continued support. Thank you to Nick Truxel, Heather Like, and Michael Carolyn for hosting. And thank you to Michael Terrell for writing on these. If you liked listening today, tell someone about it. Next time, we'll be speaking with Laserbeak and Elon Blanc, Minnesota musician entrepreneurs. In the future, you can tune in for conversations with videographer Tyler Ogg, as well as Dave Burgess, who teaches like a pirate. We look forward to having you again next time on Third Eye.